Welcome to episode number nine, Going Public. This is Value Investor TV podcast, a podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko, and this is Hari. Welcome, everybody. In this episode, we're going to talk about what is going private. You know, we hear this word IPO. Public, public. Or, sorry, going public, not private. <laughs> that would be the wrong other way. direction, wrong oh, direction. All the way around, yes. Uh, <clears throat> we, you hear IPO, going IPO, or going listed, becoming listed a lot in the newspaper. We'll talk about what does that mean, really. And we'll talk about that. Before we do, let's just do a re really quick uh, recap, like we always do. In the previous two episodes, we talked about market analysis, uh, growth industry, steady industry, and declining industry. We also talked about the life cycle of business, how just like any organism, we compared it to living organisms. They, they, they uh, come to this earth, and then they, they grow up, and then they, they plateau, and then they, they die. Similar to living organisms, organizations, companies go through a similar life cycle. And we talked about that in the previous episode. All right. And then also, yeah, we talked about company structure. We talked about board of directors, what they mean for us as investors. We talked about the difference between directors versus officers. Key, key things that we have to, <coughs> excuse me, have in mind as, a, as an investor. So, Hari, let's today talk about going public, not private. Going public. Public, yeah. Very important. Different different <laughs> strokes. So IPO is another synonym for going public. They're interchangeable. So let's talk about IPO. Take us through what they mean. <clears throat> IPO. Yeah, so the the IPO actually uh, stands for initial public offering. Yeah. And so what this is is that a company that is previously private. So if we're thinking about our hot dog stand, you know, we are going and taking our company um, to the public markets. So now what that means is that we will uh, talk to a company like uh, Goldman Sachs or, uh, uh, you know, a uh, investment more, bank, uh, another type of investment bank. And what we'll do is we'll say we would like to sell our shares on the open market. And what that allows us to do is raise money. So, you know, if you think back to our debt and equity uh, discussion earlier, this is essentially selling equity on the private market or on the public market. So anybody can buy. Um, and this is our first offering. So we are not making subs. We can make subsequent offerings, but they're not called IPOs. Those are can still be underwritten and all of that. Um, so the, the public marketplace is, you know, you've probably heard of the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or, um, you know, there are numerous other exchanges like that. Um, but what what it means is that anybody with a brokerage account that has a it, it, you know and can access these you know shares once they are on the market and they can be traded monday through friday you know from uh 8:30 to 3 o'clock uh central time mm -hmm. um and what it what the offering is is that um you know the essentially what it does is an underwriter will uh you know my hot dog company goes to the underwriting business and tells them, um, you know, I want to sell my company. They, uh, you know, onto the public markets. What price do you think that we can get, uh, you know, for this? And they'll say, okay, I, I think we can sell it on the public market for fifteen dollars. We will buy it from you, the company, for twelve dollars. 
and then we will try and sell as many of these shares that we've bought. So the underwriter is basically guaranteeing a certain price uh, for the shares of the thing. So they're taking on some level of risk. And as they are taking on that risk, they, they also then, you know, they have a network of clients, uh, private individuals, uh, institutional investors like banks and other banks. Um, sometimes these, uh, and then and they'll sell those shares to those, you know, even before the market opens. Um, so they're, they're, you know, basically offloading the cost. You know, they buy it at 12, they sell it at 13 or $14. And then it goes public at $15. Um, now they may still retain some blocks of shares even after the offering uh, occurs. And then they, they sell those um, later. Yeah. Um, but what what you want to you know, see out of this is that um, the company gets some level of equity, and the uh, you know you know or I'm sorry the company sells equity gets you know some money and they they often have a reason for doing it. Um, you know what some of the reasons are that they want to uh, raise money to you know go buy another company to extinguish debt you know and they'll talk about that as part of that IPO process. Right. So. So really quick, so initial public offering, you know, you're offering your ownership ownership stake in the public markets marketplace for the, so that anyone with trading account can can buy into the company. Right. And the process can can is the process of going public is facilitated by investment banks. The likes of Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. And they what they do is in this process of going going public, they will go through they will underwrite the 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 share offerings. Yeah. And so so that's the whole that's the process. That's the process of, of large broad strokes. A company wants to raise money in the public marketplace, they approach investment bank, and investment bank in return goes to their their clients and say, Hey, look, this company right there, they're go they're about to go public. Why don't you buy some shares of this company? They're going to go big. And and you know the part of that is also the investment bank will really try and sell this company, right? And so part of this whole process is you know before the IPO even happens, the company will do what's called a roadshow. So they'll travel the world, you know, the U.S. Um, and talk to a bunch of institutional investors, saying, "Hey, and we're about to IPO. You should buy these shares. This is why we think this thing will be worth a lot more than what you pay for it." Uh, and a lot of times the IPO prices will be, you know, it could skyrocket in, you know, in the first day. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that the idea is that they're trying to get rid of these shares, raise that money, do something with it. Um, and so they, they are incentivized to tell you how great this thing is. But on the flip side, they're also incentivized to have, um, you know, the highest price that they can get when they sell their shares, right? So they're never going to sell shares at a, you know, if they can get it for $50 a share, um, they're going to sell they it. They will, yeah. You know, and if it can be 100 even better. Sure. Right? So, the, you know, from the from the bank's per perspective, you know, they're going to try and sell it at a high price. And and they their incentive is to, to get as much money as possible, you know, for the, the thing. So that means that a lot of times the value of the underlying security, you know, of the company doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, the price that's price. being paid there. Exactly. So, you know, one of the dangers, you know, of of the IPO process. Um, so, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that, um, you know, uh, you know, as we go, you know, through this. But I, I think this is, you know, this kind of idea is that 
the goal for the underwriter and for the company is sell it at as a high price as possible. Yeah. So that's, that's so important for us to recognize because as investors, it's very tempting when a company goes, okay, $10, and the next day, I mean, as soon as it IPOs, it just doubles. Yeah. It's a quick, it's a quick money, and you can, you can think, oh, wow, I could have benefited so much from buying into IPO. Right. But really, you got to think about the incentive alignment that is in place. It's a structural incentive alignments that isn't really for retail investors. Right. And so investment bank, when I think of investment banks, and I, you know, I have a lot of friends who work in them, it's really effectively salesmen. Yeah. What they're out to do is to sell on your behalf. Let's say our hot dog stand, we enlist Goldman Sachs as our investment bank. What they will do is instead of us going out and doing the roadshow, they will go out to a roadshow and do selling on our behalf. Selling the equity shares on our behalf, or debt, or whatever it may be. Yeah, and and you know this is the idea here is also that, uh, like a company like Goldman Sachs, offers a suite of services to companies, right? That may be to help them find a buyer. It may be you know to do this IPO. So they have a um, incentive to not really tell you the whole story, right? Because they want to be on the good side of the company, right? And I'm not saying that they're doing it, you know, because they're bad people, right? But they have a bias inherent that if I'm trying to make sell services later after I IPO this company, you know, like let's say somebody comes and acquires the company too, they would want to have um, good relationships so that when the company says, hey, somebody's come and offered a, a buyout price, I'm going to go talk to this company that I have a good relationship exactly. with. Exactly. So, you, you know, you have to be kind of wary of how, what their incentives are, right? We talked a lot about incentives when we talked about board, the board of directors and CEOs and, you know, what is their alignment, right? So if their goal is to get the highest, you know, obviously they're in the business of making money, right? They're like every company, they want to make a profit. If their incentives are to get a high, as high a price as possible, then that means that you have to be more wary of, what are they actually saying, right? And so, um, you know, that, that goes into our, you know, uh, you know, more about looking at the filings and things like that. Right? Yeah, which we will do in the next episode. Uh, <clears throat> so in the public marketplace, obviously in the U.S., the, the big ones are NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. You've all heard of them probably being talked about in newspapers and, and whatnot. And there are other exchanges elsewhere across the world. Yep. Every country has one or two. Uh, Canada, Toronto, to Toronto Stock Exchange, you have in the UK, London, China, the Shanghai, Korea, Korea Stock Exchange, Japan, Japan Stock Exchange. Every country has one. Right. So companies that are uh, the, that are from those respective countries most likely will raise capital in these in these marketplaces through a process known as the IPO. <coughs> and and it's sometimes you'll be surprised that uh, some companies that are based in other countries want to be listed in the u.s from a prestige factor and, and other things so you may actually get companies that are based in china uh that you know operate in the chinese market but have dual listings in the u.s as well as the shanghai uh stock exchange so yeah we'll talk about those in the later episodes <clears throat> okay so let's look um yeah so when a public when a company goes public from private company to public company you can't you can't just say oh our hot dog stands you know, let's say imagine our hot dog stand let's say we're going public you can't just sell our shares in the public marketplace without any kind of 
you know, regulation or scrutiny. Because what public market effectively does to the company, let's say our, our uh, hot dog stand, is it brings in a lot of scrutiny. Uh, and so well, let's talk about that. What is, you know, public offering requires a lot of regulatory things. You've got to comply with a whole bunch of stuff. From In the U.S., it's SEC that regulates that. What is required in going public, and why is it so important? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I think um, a lot of this actually goes all the way back to the Great Depression uh, and, you know, the 1920s. Um, so prior to the 1934 uh, uh, Securities and Exchange Act, there was it was kind of the Wild West. You know, you could basically go and say, hey, guys, I've built a time machine <laughs> and you, this is the greatest thing ever. You should invest in my company. Right. And so, you know, it, what what you it, it what it really gets down to is no one was actually, you know, verifying your financials. So auditing your financials and verifying that what you're saying and telling investors is actually true. So if you say something that, you know, it, and the, the way that the SEC kind of, you know, couches all of these things are, and there's a lot of, you know, legal terms here, but really it's about, you know, are you saying something, you know, and for example, uh, Elon Musk right now is, you know, it, is under investigation for essentially saying my company is going to, you know, be bought out. I've secured the funding for that for 20, you know, for a, at a price that was significantly higher than the current share price. Right. And so if, if that is indeed true, then the sec is fine with it. Right. But if you are announcing this deal, right, you are announcing it before, uh, you know, and, and before anything has happened, you know, you can manipulate the share price, right? So what the SEC really wants you to say in your thing is they're going to offer you, you know, they're going to make you say, what does my business do? Uh, what are the risks associated with investing in my business? Um, they're actually going to make you compare your returns. Um, you know, and in an IPO setting, you won't see this, but um, and so they're going to ask you to, to kind of give you an, uh, an understanding of what are the board of directors, you know, who is who runs this company, what are the financials for the last two or three years, uh, and so on. So the idea here is to prevent any sort of fraud, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, to give you an example, the SEC even um, investigates companies even before they actually get listed on a public mar in the public markets. Um, so Theranos was is actually an example of that. You know, they're... Uh, you know, they were under investigation because they were, you know, essentially saying that we have this product that we they don't have, uh, and they were actually lying to investors, and that becomes a criminal thing. Um, and you know, the the uh, you know Enron actually fall, fell under a lot of SEC you know rules violations and so on. But in addition to that, you know, so y you have to go under a lot of scrutiny. You know, you're going to have people reviewing your documents making sure that what you're saying is true. Um, and on top of that, you have to go through an audit, right? And so the audit is essentially you get one of these CPA firms, um, you know, they call them the big four, you know, and and then there are smaller ones that do, do this also. But what they essentially do is they say, okay, I'm going to look at the financial statements that you provide in your IPO, and then I'm going to ask you to give me the receipts. I'm going to actually look at your bank statements. I'm going to look at everything, you know, and they can scrutinize, um, you know, 
you know, to a very uh, low level or, and then they have to, you know, sign off, right? So to give you an idea of how that was, it was, you know, Arthur Anderson was the uh, auditor for Enron. Enron basically said, you know, just made up all their financial statements. Arthur Anderson just said, okay, sounds good to me and signed off on it. Arthur Anderson doesn't, you know, exist anymore, right? I mean, they, they were basically sued out of existence. So, you know, the fraud part of this is, you know, there's auditing. And that's not to say that you can still get stuff past the auditor, right? And we'll actually probably talk about this uh, in, you know, much later episode, but how companies can do some shenanigans with their finances to kind of sneak by the, um, what's, you know, stuff behind the auditor. Um, you know, and then what, in addition to this now, you know, you are now required to, you know, when you produce public relations, you know, PR, you know, send wires out, you know, of news stories and stuff like that. You have to be careful about what you say in those statements, um, you know, and, you know, you can project like, hey, we're going to, we think we're going to grow this much or we think, you know, but we, you have to couch it and say, you know, these are forward looking statements. You know, they may or may not happen. They carry risk, you know, and these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, lastly, the company actually has to pay money to be listed, right? And not only are they, you know, increasing their regulatory burden, but they're also actually paying, you know, cash to be listed on the stock exchange. And what that cash does is it creates a marketplace for their shares. Um, so, so there's a market maker who actually, you know, manages the exchange, you know, uh, of that, of those, uh, you know, of the shares between brokerage houses and stuff like that. So there's a fee that is paid, uh, you know, to do this. Uh, and then you have to have a investor relations department, right? And, you know, the investor relations department can, you know, be the one that um, handles incoming requests from, you know, for annual reports, for answering questions. You know, my interactions within investor relations departments goes from, they don't do anything to all the way to, you know, they tell you, you know, happy to answer questions. And uh, in some cases, we'll put you in touch with, you know, we'll I'll go ask the CFO and then come back and tell you. So, you know, yeah, every company has to have, uh, you know, these kind of basic things in order to go public. So, you know, those costs can vary. You know, why, you know, greatly depending on the size of the company, the complexity of the you know audit process, and so on. So, you know, you won't see very tiny companies listed here, um, l- largely because of that burden. Um, and you won't see, um, you know, it's it's. But what happens is that most companies, after they get to a certain size, it's just better for them because they can't have too many investors. They have to be publicly traded. Uh, so that sometimes it it just forces their hand and uh, and they have to go uh, go to the public market. Right. So you have all this uh, requirements, you know, regulatory requirements. You have to pay the marketplace uh, to be listed. You have to have a fully functional, fully functional investor relations department underneath your company to manage being public. You have all these requirements. So you know, you, you like you said in the last statement right there. That some, when you when a company gets to a certain size, it's better for them to actually go public than private. Even though you have all these requirements that is necessary to go public, right. why do companies go public then? Well, I mean, you you're weighing a lot of these things, right? You're saying I want to go public because <clears throat> I have investors already. 
who they we, you know we're unlikely to so you know when we talked about de- debt versus equity earlier right you can go to your buddy right who can give you a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks to help you get your business started but when you get to a certain size it's a lot harder to raise money because <clears throat> you need tens of millions of dollars you don't need a thousand bucks right and so in order to get that kind of funding you may have to diversify the number of people that give you that source of money. And so you go to the public markets, you know, for that purpose. But a lot of the times, you know, when you, especially when you talk about venture capital backed companies, they want to have an exit, right? And so for them, an exit is, could be two things. It could be selling the company or it could be listing the company on the public market. Because once it's on the public market, they can dump their shares and then return that capital back to their they're uh, limited partners, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it, it also becomes a lot easier to raise money. So yeah. we talked about the IPO, but you can also do secondary offerings, right? So after the company's already listed, you can say, we're going to sell one more, one million more shares at some price. And they go back to the underwriter and the underwriter does that so that they don't flood the market with an extra million shares and they sell it over time. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole art and science to, you know, to all of that. Um, so, so the other thing is it allows for, you know, the stock market is very good at giving you a quote for how much your company is worth. And so you can see on a daily basis what, you know, that, you know, that the value of the entire business is. So it's a, there's a liquidity issue here too, that, Let's say I'm I'm a institute you know I'm an insider who bought shares in this company right I have a lockout period of six months or a year or however long that is where I can't sell my shares you know so and this prevents them from just dumping their shares you know immediately after the IPO but after that I can sell my shares so I can you know I I, I you know liquidate some of my holdings <clears throat> you know because I want to go buy a house or or do whatever so you know selling your your you know the insiders who got come you know equity very early on can sell their shares into the company um yeah yeah go, go ahead. ahead uh yeah one of the things i wanted to mention was in the you can you can do all this in the in the private micro marketplace as well right it's just that the liquidity aspect of it i think is very important to highlight yeah you know in the we obviously work at a startup company you know you, you see all these startup companies out it's out from silicon valley mostly from but across the world where you know a startup gets gets uh, started gets born you have investors funding the startup and then as a startup matures let's say an investor let's say he wants to exit out of the position he wants to retrieve his cash from the company and and, and sell his equity stake in the in the in the marketplace be it public or private let's say in this case this is private company there there may not be a net, they there may not necessarily be a necessarily be a buyer in the private marketplace yeah, because the private marketplace it's very exclusive. First of all, right? Only you know if you if you talk to VC firms, they'll only accept money from high high net worth individuals most of the times. Right, and so it's very exclusive, and and the marketplace itself is very small relative yeah. to the public marketplace. So if you want to sell a portion of uh, equity stake in the company, there may not be a buyer out there. But in the public marketplace, that's that's much better. Liquidity aspect of it, I wanted to highlight. <coughs> right. But I, I mean, that also goes back to the thing of, <clears throat> you know, you have now more public scrutiny in the case of some of these Silicon Valley companies, you know, they don't actually have a business. Right. And um, so what they do is they they keep raising money until people realize that this thing is terrible. 
right? And and then they dump it on the public market. And that's how they, they exit this thing. And so what they've done is essentially speculated on the value of the company. They've increased the, you know, the earnings that are, uh, or, or, you know, they've increased the, the value of the company through these <clears throat> equity offerings that they've done. And then the value of the company increases over time. But at what at some point, what what they say is nobody wants to put more money in because they're like, if I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm this is a losing battle. And then they go to the IPO market. And so when they IPO, they're essentially using that as an exit. And so you actually can see this in, um, uh, you know, a great example of this is Blue Apron. So uh, June of 2017, Blue Apron IPO'd at around $10 a share. Uh, and it's trading at a dollar, you know, 70 or so, 60 a share right now, uh, today. And what that has, what it shows you is that this is a company that was never going to turn a profit. <clears throat> you know, they had a business model that just doesn't work. And, you know, despite that, there have been a lot of Me Too companies that have been doing exactly what Blue Apron has done. Uh, Blue Apron is, you know, hemorrhaged cash. But the IP, but if you ask these VC firms, what they'll tell you is it was a successful exit for us. Oh, yeah. Because what they did was they raised money at a very low valuation, kept raising it up um, through other, you know, fools investing into this company. And then they dump it on the public market. The public market you know, buys and sells the shares. And then a year and a half later, you know, the company has basically, you know, lost 90% of its value. Yeah, that's, I mean, the winner in this winner in this whole game is Silicon Valley, the elite smart investors, the smart money, and then they just dump it in the public marketplace and, you know, retail dumb money picks it up and has to hold hold that junk. Well, I, I, the you know, the funny thing is the retail investor here is actually the smartest guy in the room. Uh, because they realize that there is no value in this company, and that's why it's trading at a dollar, um, you know, a dollar fifty a share or so. You know, I, what I would say is that you know you can fool some of the people all of the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time, right? And that's essentially what has happened here. Is when you look at some of these companies, you know, and you look at the IPOs, you see they say, oh, there's a lot of promise with this business. And Blue Apron had a lot of those, you know, kind of, you know, promising things. But essentially what happens is there is no business underlying the stock, right? And that's the difference that we're trying to highlight here is there's a fundamental nature that you have to understand. If you understand this is a good business, then there is value in the company. And if there's value in the company, then you can assess that value and assign a price. And if the price is... Uh, that you're willing to pay is, um, you know, or the market is is willing to pay is a lot lower than the value, then you have you may have a deal here, right? And so part of this is learning about IPOs is seeing they are not incentivized to give you a deal, right? If they were giving you a deal, um, you know, they would be losing money, right? And so they're, what you have to start looking at is now that, you know, Blue Apron has lost 90% of its value, is it cheap enough, right? And, so, you know, I, you know, that's a discussion for a later date. But, you know, value is such an important part of this concept. And, you know, looking at the IPO, it may be difficult to assess uh, based on what, you know, information they're, you know, prov- providing because they have a slant, you know, to it. Exactly. All right. <clears throat> we covered a lot of topic today on this episode, Going Public. 
Uh, we talked about what is IPO. We talked about going public. Um, all the exchanges that are out there in the U.S., the famous one, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. And we talked about the requirements, the prerequisites of uh, going public. What does it take? It takes a lot of uh, scrutiny, uh, financial scrutiny. It uh, Actually, you need to pay up the ex these exchanges so that there's actually actual cost to the companies when you want to list. But despite the burden, a lot of people decide to do go public because of many benefits, namely... You know, liquidity, easier to raise cash, uh, and, and some more. And so that is that is it for us today, going public. Um, thank you all for listening. And again, if you like the episode, please go go ahead and, and subscribe to our channel. We would ha we'd be happy to have you as our subscribers. We're growing. And so if you could uh, subscribe, that would help us a lot. And click the bell for notifications. Yeah. And yeah, and and also if you want to leave us comments, we'd be happy to chat with you there. All right. See you on the next episode. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Uh -huh.